You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Sophia Muhammad. She started her career in academia roughly eight and a half years ago as part of a Teach for America cohort. And after just five years in the classroom, Sophia was tapped to serve in administration. Now, for me, this is a clear indicator that she has a gift for education. But you might be surprised to learn that Sophia did not even want to become a teacher. So, of course, we walked through her journey of how she landed in this career. And, like so many 26ers, how she's working through the self-doubt that still plagues her from time to time. She's not only addressing her own struggle in this area, but she's also created a passion project to help others have honest conversations around coping with imposter syndrome. And we get into all of it. So, take a listen and enjoy. Sophia. Yes. Welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for being here. This is like, I don't know how long in the making. <laughs> has it been a year? I'm not sure. Uh, probably has been a little bit over a year. But we we already had this conversation off yes. air about how like the timing is right. Yes. But then I already apologized. But see, you thought I was like upset about it and I really wasn't because it happens. Or the reverse happens where like we have a conversation with someone and it's our job to schedule them and then, like, and then we just don't schedule them. Not because we don't want to, yeah. but things happen. So we don't take it personally when people okay, thank like, you. say they're going to call us back and then they don't. Thank you. But I'm going to call you out on the, on the recording. Thanks. And I already apologize. So we're good, right? Yeah, we're all good. <laughs> uh, so let's get into it. Tell me, who is Sophia Muhammad? Wow. Um, Sophia Muhammad is uh, a woman mm -hmm. um, who is on a journey, both personally and professionally. Um, a little bit about my background is I was born in Ethiopia, mm -hmm. came to Harlem when I was nine. So I claim Ethiopia and also Harlem. Mm -hmm. um, and my family came to America for like better opportunities, obviously through education. Um, and um, I came to America with my three siblings. My mom was already here mm -hmm. uh, three years prior. And um, as a single mom, um, she like raised us. And um, I went to Fred Douglas Academy, mm -hmm. um, the heart and the heart and soul of uh, Harlem when it comes to school. And it was education has always been part of my life. Like I was a pretty decent student. I liked school. I saw school as like a haven, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a typical teenager who didn't want to be at home. Right. I couldn't go outside because my mom was super strict. So I no, went to school. really shocking. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, school was like my haven mm -hmm. and I went to VC, uh, eventually became a teacher and, um, and also school kind of like create, helped me create these relationships that I still hold on to this day. Like some of my best friends I met like in middle school, yeah. you know, some of my best friends I meet, I met in schools, like in some type of education capacity. Um, and now I'm a school leader. Which we're just gonna get into like how you're a school leader in record time, like, which is commendable and like definitely to be applauded. Yeah, for sure. You like might be a savant at, at this point, right? Yeah. Um, but before we go there, take me back. What was it like not having your mom in Ethiopia for three full years? Yeah. Um, I 
it's really hard for me to remember like what it felt like. Um, I do remember my older sister, my oldest sister, um, who used to like play the mom. She used to um, take the monthly, you know, the, 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 she used to, on a monthly basis, she used to do groceries. She used to um, braid my hair. She used to make sure that all like the household stuff was taken care of. She's 10 years older than me. Um, my other sister also managed making sure that like the household was taken care of. Like they were the um, moms of the house. Um, my dad really did a good job of making sure that we stayed in school. Um, and we had uh, the, just like try to create like normalcy in the house as much as possible. And I used to speak to my mom on the phone. She used to, I loved like the packages she would send, like with chocolate and like clothes. And, you know, I remember wearing American clothes in Ethiopia and it was so cool. And like, come think of it. I'm like, those are like from like just regular clothes, but they're from America. So it was special. Um, and I just always remember during those three years, like, yep, I know eventually I'm going to go to America. Like I remember having that like thought, I didn't know when, but sure. that was the plan. Um, and I just remember like being a child whose mom used to call and send stuff and make sure that we were taken care of. And um, my dad really, really valued education. Mm -hmm. um, and my sisters like taking care of us. Those are what I remember. So you come here mm -hmm. and now you got to integrate into a new culture, new school, whole nine. Yeah. What do you remember about those early days of being in Harlem? Um, so I, I will tell you, I came to Harlem on July 18th, 1998. I remember the day because it was so hot. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, as soon as we came out of JFK Airport, like I felt like I was about to vomit. Like the humidity, <laughs> like I was not ready for this. And um, in July, of uh, an American American July in Ethiopia is like, it's like this, it's the winter. Mm -hmm. It's very cold. It's Rainy. So I remember uh, we had on like sweaters in July, <laughs> right? And there's humidity and it was just a lot. Um, and I also remember because it was the summer, the school was out, mm -hmm. um, I had to learn conversational English. So I watched a lot of TV and I remember the shows. Like I was a nine-year-old watching like Blue's Clues and like Lil Bear, like yeah. Franklin, like all of the Nickelodeon like baby shows I was watching just to like understand English mm -hmm. and like what this was about. Um, I remember uh, I hated red apples. I just, yeah. You hated red apples? Yeah, like my mom things. used to make me eat apples all the time. And I'm like, I don't want to eat red apples. And I think I think the first red apple that I had, I think it was like, you know, it was brown and like there was like round parts. Mm -hmm. And I just got, and till this day, I do not like red apples. But there are many different apples, like any any red apples, honey crisp, no, yellow. Uh, nope. I, I do I do the the green one. What is it like? The, Gray Smith. Yes, mm -hmm. I like that. Okay. But my mom used to be, you know, apples were like very healthy. Right. She wanted us, to, you know, the Big Apple in New York. I don't know, but I just remember hating red apples. <laughs> I didn't have, you know, I didn't have friends. I didn't have like local friends. I had some friends from the Ethiopian church that my mom um, used to take us to, but I didn't actually have friends when I first came here. So it was me and my brother um, who was around my age. He's three, he's three years older than me. Um, so we hung out, but he's also the only boy. So yeah. he's by himself a lot. Um, when I got to school, I remember being in an ESL class um, which was interesting because a lot of the ESL students that were in that class with me only spoke Spanish. Right. So like, it wasn't really helpful for me because 
even when the teacher tried to translate, like they can't translate to Amharic. So for me, it's like I had to learn quick to get the heck out of that ESL class because it was not helpful for me. I just didn't feel like I could fit in. Sure. Not a, it was helpful, but I just still did not feel like I fit in there. Um, so I got out of that ESL class within like six months and got reintegrated into the general classroom. Um, and I just remember always feeling like I'm black, but I people don't see me as black. Like people think I'm Dominican, um, or the, like students felt like I was Dominican, um, and like I just didn't really feel like a belonging in my school uh, during the first two years, so during the first years of like being in American education. So when did the switch happen? When you felt like like this is home? I feel comfortable here. I feel comfortable in my skin. If it happened, right? Where like when there was a sort of shift in in your view um, of yourself, almost as like an, from going from an outsider to yeah. like, I'm probably like, like yeah. I'm here, I'm a part of this community. Yeah. Um, I think it has to be when I went to FDA. Mm-hmm. I got into FDA as a seventh grader and it was like an application process. Um, I got had to get tests. Like the, the principal at the time um, was like very adamant about like the, what type of students entered FDA. Um, and FDA has allowed me to kind of like create my identity as a scholar. Mm-hmm. And I think through my identity as a scholar, like as a student, um, surrounding myself with other people who also had similar mindsets. You know, yes, we came from this type of community. Yes, our parents may or may not have degrees. Right. But like at the end of the day, like this is, we're trying to create something that we've probably always wanted in our lives, but like now it's in our hands, right? Like, um, so FDA definitely, I think, made me feel more integrated into the Harlem community um, and made me feel like more of a belonging. Mm-hmm. And FDA also had, like, other African kids. Granted, it was West African kids or, like, Central African kids. I I don't remember an Ethiopian student in FDA, Mm -hmm. at least during my time. So um, I still didn't have, like, that Ethiopian connection, but being from Africa was not new. Yeah. Like, it was there. Mm -hmm. So I I felt more of a belonging there. So we've had... Many people on the show from the diaspora who um, have whose parents emigrated here and they were born here, they they immigrated to yeah. the states. Um, and we all sort of joke about sort of the career paths that were almost forced on them. Yeah, like <laughs> safe, you know, be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, yeah. whatever, um, following one of those lanes. But you chose to be a teacher. Yeah, how did that happen? I said I did not want to be a teacher. Really? Yeah, I did it. So. I, you know, I'm a firm believer, like, things happen in your life even when you don't want them to happen because maybe there's a purpose for them, right? And when I was in high school, a lot of, like, the summer jobs that I had have to do with children, like, summer camp counselor. Um, really, that was actually the only jobs that I had. So uh, there was a, the summer between my my senior year and, like, me going to college, I got into... Um, this this organization called the Sports and Arts and Schools Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, they do after school programs. They do summer programs in different schools. So I was in a school in Brownsville um, as a summer counselor, but my job ended up like being a teacher. Like I was teaching kids like the seven habits of highly effective teens. I didn't even read that book, but like I was like I was like okay, these I have to do something with these kids. Like let me find some type of thing that could be helpful for them. And they were middle schoolers. And at the moment, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was I managed my class classroom. I invested the students in this, these 
seven habits, mm -hmm. right? And like my classroom, my group of kids, like were kind of like the stronger kids in the whole summer program. And the director of the summer program, funny story, he ended up like being one of the parents of one of my students later on, crazy story. But at the moment he was like, Sophia, you should become a teacher. And I was like, no, like they don't get paid enough. <laughs> like it's early in the morning. Like these kids are crazy. Like I can't, I don't have the patience. And I kind of dismissed it. Fast forward to college. Again, my summer, my summer jobs were like managing kids in some capacity at some city hall, like some city hall job that I had. And my supervisor was like, Sophia, you should like really consider being a teacher. And I'm like, no, Anne, like I, I don't think that's like, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a meme waiting to happen. Like, <laughs> no, Anne. No, Anne. <laughs> um, and um, my senior year, um, my one of my best friends who was on my event yesterday, um, she taught. She went to Cornell. So at Cornell, her summer job, her summer job has has always been with Teach for America. She was like okay. a, recruit, a campus recruiter. She worked at Summer Institute in like Mississippi. She was like huge TFA fan, mm -hmm. and she's like Sophia. Like you should really apply for TFA. I'm applying for TFA. Like you don't. Even if you don't want to be a teacher, like you can like learn and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Antonia, I am not applying to be a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher. And she's like, no, just like try it. Trust me. So I'm like, Antonia, I'm just going to trust you. Fine. I'm going to do it. Um, I got in and I what's crazy is both me and her end up being placed in the same city, Atlanta. What are the odds that my best friend from middle school, from FDA, yeah. who's been pushing me, and I didn't even have Atlanta as my first choice. Atlanta was like my third choice. I wanted to go to Baltimore. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. But like, um, things like lining up, I finally started realizing, okay, like, why not? Mind you, I didn't have, um, I didn't have like, I didn't have a license. I'd never even driven a car before <laughs> about to move to Atlanta. Moving to a dry right. city. Yeah. Um, I don't know anybody in Atlanta, but I knew Antonia. At the end of the day, like, we're, you know, we're going to be ride or die no matter what. So I was like, sure, let's let me do it. And I was a history major in college. I wanted to uh, study. I wanted to teach social studies. And also a lot of like my mentor teachers from FDA happened to be like social studies mm -hmm. teachers. And I got placed in math. Oh god. And I have not taken a math course that would have been enough. college. That would have been enough for me to be like, this nah, is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like just crazy events <laughs> that ended up leading me to be a teacher. And um that's really how I got in. And like I did not want to be, I knew I wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. Like, if you asked me when I was a middle schooler, like, what do you want to be when you grow up, Sophia? Like, I want to help people. But I didn't know what that meant. And people always used to be like, how? Like, be specific. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I just want to help people. So I think just the push from people um, is what drove me to teaching. But did you have an alternative career in mind outside of, like, once you got into college, before TFA came? I think politics. Okay. And I think it's because my dad was in politics. Mm -hmm. Um or some type of like political, he was, he used to listen to news a lot. My sister used to be in politics. She used to love, like, um, she actually had, she actually like had like a, was on the radio in Ethiopia. Okay. Crazy. My mom was also very interested in politics. So like my family is, has like this history of like having a lot of opinions when mm -hmm. it comes to like what the government is doing. Um, my grandmother was the first woman in Ethiopia to run for parliament. Wow. Um, and she was like 
close friend. She was like part of like Haile Selassie's um, crew. Wow. Yeah. So because of those things, I think I wanted to get into politics. Um, but I didn't know how as an Ethiopian, you know, what the hell am I doing in politics in America? Yeah. Like I just didn't know how. Um, but that was going to be my alternative. So you land in Atlanta, get placed as a math teacher in a city that does not have, I mean, they have murder, but it's not the- I know, no, it's, it's not awesome. So you go yeah. transit system or what have you. What was that first year like? Um, it was, oh my God, it was, I think it was one of my, the best years. Really? Yeah. Um, I didn't, okay, I didn't, I didn't know it in that moment, but I think it was one of the best years. Mm -hmm. Here's why. Um, the Teach for America core, for 2011, it was 300 of us. Mm -hmm. It was, we came in after this like huge scandal that happened in Atlanta where like there was hundreds of teachers caught and principals caught cheating on exams. Yes, and, like, I remember, remember that scandal, mm -hmm. right? So like there was a need for teachers, you know, TFA and all of, all, you know, people, all of the feelings about people have about TFA. Like at the end of the day, like we, we, it was 300 of us like mm -hmm. trying to teach, right? Like, I don't know what the scandal is about, but I'm just trying to teach. Yeah. So we were just so closely connected. Like my TFA, like cohort, it was our first jobs. Like we were coming from different parts of the, from the, from the country mm -hmm. and some of us don't have licenses. I was not the only one. Um, and, <laughs> and we just really went through crazy stuff, trying to lesson plan for content that we don't even know. And just like, as we're like trying to figure it out, we also had a lot of fun. It was a, it was a community. Um, the hardest part was about not having a car mm -hmm. um, because I always had to rely on somebody. At that moment, it was my roommate. It was my friend, Antonia. Um, she, her school was about maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes away from my school. Um, again, coincidence, we all, we both got placed in the same region in Atlanta. Um, so she used to drop me off and then go to school. She used to come back to pick me up. Like all of these things kind of like was really, it made me miserable because I hate the fact that I had to depend on one person for such an important part of life, transportation, right? Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I think I think that was probably the hardest part at first. And then, but in terms of like the teaching, even though it was hard, I had my people mm -hmm. who were going through similar things, if not worse things, and we just talked about it. Um, and the thing uh, to to think that often the first year teaching is really it's not it's hard, it's terrible, and I think it, it it continues to be terrible if you don't have a community of people you could go through it with, and. Fortunately, my TFA cohort was my like where it was my support system throughout that year. And did you have a moment in that first year where you were like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Or was it just like, this is cool for now? This is cool for now. Because at the end of the day, it was a two-year commitment. Mm -hmm. I knew I'm gonna stay in Atlanta for two years. Uh, so I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do after these two years. Uh, but I definitely knew that these two years were gonna be teaching. In the middle of in the in the middle of the two years, so like that summer, I came to I came home mm -hmm. um, during my summer break, and I wanted to make extra money. So I ended up um, I ended up being a summer school teacher at um, a big charter school network in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. It was a high school, so it was like I felt like it was easy money. It was like you're teaching summer school for three weeks, and you're getting like thousand dollars a week and it was not even like a full day right um but i apparently i was like a really good teacher um i was teaching geometry high school geometry I'm like what the hell's going on here um Do but i ever want to teach geometry <laughs> after taking you in high school 
Um, so I, I taught geometry, the principal, and I guess the woman who coached me during that summer really thought I had a ta talent and like potential, especially teaching math. So I didn't even know this was like part of the plan or that it was part of the program. But I think like October or, no, or September of the following, my second year teaching, I got a call saying, hey, we want you to come back to New York after TFA and to be a, a high school math teacher at our school. I'm like, oh, I don't even know if I want to continue teaching, but got it. Like, again, like, got it. Um, and I did, I did not know if I was going to continue teaching my, after my second year. I did not know. And, like, in Atlanta, in addition to, like, the not having a car for the first few months, the fact that, like, we didn't get paid a lot. Right. Like, and that's why a lot of these big charter school networks used to come to Atlanta to recruit us because, like, I know you're good teachers, but I know you probably want to come make, like, twice as much right. money as you are in Atlanta. So... I didn't have a lot of disposable income and I knew that I just had to just make more money mm -hmm. to take care of myself. Like I, me not having money or like being self-sufficient was not an option. Um, so I considered consulting. Mm -hmm. Now I don't know nothing about consulting. I was not a business major. Like I, but I just knew right in my 23 year old, 24 year old mind, like consults makes money. So like, um, let me try that. Um, I got to like a final round interview with Monitor, which is a company that doesn't even exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So thank God. Uh, but I didn't make it. Um, I applied for like some other like finance jobs. Again, I did not know what the hell I was getting into. I was just saying, seeing like if I could get into the door. Yeah. Um, it didn't work out. And uh, and then my my friend, uh, one of my friends was like, you know, Sophia, like even if you would become a consultant, like the starting salary for the consult consulting job is the same as if you were going to take this teaching Which job. Which a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. Yes. So I was like, oh, really? Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay. So in reflecting why I was trying to get out of education, it was really because I wanted to make more money. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that I didn't like the job and it's not like I didn't, I was not, it's not that I didn't want to, to be part of this work of transformational change through education. It was, I was scared that I was not going to be self-sufficient financially. Yeah. Um, so I took the, the job as a high school math teacher and I moved back to New York um, and became a math teacher. Okay, so in Atlanta for two years, kind of cut your teeth as a teacher, mm -hmm. came back here to charter school to teach high school math. Mm -hmm. um, did you... Let's not bury the lead. You're now in administration. Yeah. Right. Did you at that point know like, okay, I can make the transition to administration? Nope. Okay. I, I mean, I think I knew it could happen, mm -hmm. but I didn't have any interest. Like literally I'm like, I, I when I tell the story, I t it's funny. I'm like, I've done a lot of things that I said I will never do. <laughs> like I'll never be a teacher. I'm a teacher, mm -hmm. right? Like I don't want to teach math. I'm teaching math. Um, you know, I, I, I had said before when I was still in college, like, no, I never want to go back to New York. You know, I remember New York. I remember like my family for a very, you know, for a, an important period of time, like living paycheck to paycheck. Like New York is like a city where you can't really be successful because you're like so, so expensive. All of these things that I said, now I'm back in New York. So I did not want to be an administrator. I didn't want to be a school leader. It's too much work and you have to deal with the adults. And it's like, you, it's just too much. And I just wanted to, um, I just didn't want to. Hindsight is 2020. I think a lot of the reasons why I said, and I say, I don't want to do these things because of fear, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's not that I don't want to do these things. It's, it's like, I don't think I can do these things. So often I will say no because I don't want to like fail. Mm -hmm. And that's 
I think why I didn't want to be a school leader as well. It's like, I don't want to do that. It's too much. I can't handle it. I can't do it. I don't have the patience. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the leadership potential. All of these things are really what what was going through my head. So what grade were you teaching in Atlanta? Sixth. Sixth. And then you came to high school. Yep. And I taught 10th and 11th grade. Was there a difference? Yeah. First of all, New York kids are different than Atlanta kids. (laughs) New York kids have their own way about them, for sure. Um, So one, like the cultural difference um was there too was in Atlanta I taught at an all-girls middle school it was co-ed high school so also like teaching boys is it's a different dynamic to or like teaching in a co-ed environment is a different dynamic than an all-girls environment or an all-boys environment um I think the another difference was like the the behaviors that I dealt with in high school like the misbehaviors that I dealt with in high school is like more of like apathy yeah like I don't care you're like, I, I'm like, you have to care. Come on, this is math. Not a very good rationale. But like, um, I, I dealt with a lot of apathy versus in middle school. You deal with like, um, just like middle school, like disrespect yeah. and um, like, like uh, reactions that are, because the girls like, or students, middle school students don't understand what is an appropriate reaction mm-hmm. to an adult telling you something and what is not. And like, they try to test waters. And high school is due to, but like the high school that I was at, it was more like apathy. Like, I don't care that I had to like fight against. Um, um, I, I liked high school a lot because I feel like I could have had, I had, I could have more authentic, real conversations with high schoolers because they're like almost adults. Um, and when you have, when you build like really, really strong relationships with, with high schoolers, you could have like real conversations. Yeah. Um, and it hits them better or it hits them stronger than middle schoolers. Cause they're like, yeah, in two years, I'm going to be on my own. Like in two years, I'm going to be 18 and I'm going to go to college. And, uh, or if I don't get my stuff together, I may not go to college. So like, because it's only because they're so close to adulthood, some of the message hits them harder. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed high school. So how long were you in that role? As a high school teacher, three years, and then I became a leader so, in that same high school. So five years into your teaching career, yeah. still in your 20s, yeah. you're tapped to switch over to leadership. Yeah. How did that come about? Um, my my direct supervisor at the time, a Black woman, she, you know, she used to, she really poured into me. Like, she started telling me things about myself that, like, I did not... I guess I knew, but I didn't really think it was that that important, that that was powerful. Like, you know, Sophia, you're one of the best math teachers in the network for high school. Like, Sophia, you your classroom is the classroom that the superintendent should come see to see, like, what, like, culturally responsive classrooms should look like. Um, and she, she really started highlighting for me the strengths in my classroom and the strengths at me as a teacher mm-hmm. that really can be and should be replicable across the school and possibly across the network. So I, she recommended me to be like one of the curriculum planners. So I started working on the Algebra 2 Pre-Calc curriculum for the network. Um, and it ended up being executed by other high school, by other teachers across the, the, I don't know how many high schools we had at the time. Um, second, when she would do walkthroughs with the principal or when she would do walkthroughs with the superintendent, she will make sure that they came to see my classroom. So one, I had this procedure in my classroom, it's an oral drill. So 
students come in, they set up their desks and immediately they get up, they stand up tall. And like, I just drill them with like facts, like questions around math definitions or like quick things that they should just know from the top of their heads. And they have like less than three seconds to answer it. Mm -hmm. And it's a series of like cold calling. And um, my students were really brought into it. I gave them like really strong rationale to why this is important. It was tight. Mm -hmm. And um, one day the superintendent came to see me during my oral drill and she was like, this is like what a high school math classroom should look like. You know, it's like quick. Yeah. Um, and there's purpose to it. Students are invested. And then after the oral drill, you get back to your seat and you're actually like working on math. And, um, she was impressed by it. I think my my results, especially my second year teaching algebra two were strong. It was one of the strongest results in the network. Mm -hmm. Um, I had pretty good influence on staff. Like teachers liked me and respected me and like uh, used me as a resource whenever they needed to. Um, I had pretty good relationships with students and staff, with um, parents. So the superintendent like sat me down and said, yeah, you should not only go into school leadership, like not only should you consider being a STEM dean, but we want you to apply for the principals of residence program. Mm. And I'm like, I'm a teacher. Like usually the people who apply to the PIR program are leaders who yeah. already have track record for leading and influencing adults. And then obviously the results are seen in students, but like there's no, there has not been any teacher out of the classroom who applied for the PIR program. And she's like, no, I think you should really consider it. And again, I fought it. Yeah. What are you talking like? Me being a principal, like I just taught for five years, right? And I did it. I applied. I got in. And um, I became the first one to go straight from the classroom to the PIR program. What does the PIR program look like? Um, so for, for my case, because I did not have like school leadership experience, the first thing was actually put me as a, as a school leader. Okay. So like I was out of the classroom. I coached at the time 10 math and science teachers across that school. And there was a project, there was a system that I had to also own. So I was in charge of everything relating to homework at the school. So creating a system for homework, how often was homework being given out to students for all subjects? How is it being collected? How is it being graded? How are students being celebrated? Like, um, what is the results I'm trying to find for homework completion? Like, all the, I had to own that. I had to make results around that. Um, this, the third component, um, in addition to, like, management, management of teachers, management of, of systems, is there's a like the soft skills of, of leadership. Do you know how to connect with teachers? Um, do you know how to influence and inspire teachers and adults in a way that is not management, but more like leadership? And did you have the, was there an added layer of complexity because you were on the younger side? And yeah. I'm sure you have oversight of teachers who've been teaching yeah. way longer. Oh my God. So yes. were they receptive to you or was there difficulty there? Um, they were they were receptive to me. I was the youngest person on the leadership team of that school mm -hmm. for that for those next two years. And I was managing a couple of people who not only have been in education longer than me, one of them who like could like three times uh, as like my age or like twice at my age, like mm -hmm. twice my age, not three times. Um, and that was hard. It was like managing somebody who was like my mom's age. Yeah. It was hard. I don't think anybody I think I think there were a couple of people. 
um, who there was one person I think who definitely like tried to use my age against me. Sure. Um, but I don't want to make the, my age as an excuse. I think my the issue between me and those couple of people who I had tough relationships with was as a result of perhaps like maybe higher for some things, right? Like there was hurt and like not being able to actually have a strong relationship with them. And then secondly, like a couple of them were just like not aligned with like mm-hmm. my vision and like with the school's vision. So it just didn't work out because of that. And did it feel like, you know, moving from being in the classroom to being in leadership, starting over in the new career? Yes, because I didn't know what I was doing, right? It's like, I know teaching, I know what it looks like, you know, I've done it for five years. And teaching, you know, like, I, I like routines for the most part. So as a teacher, your your schedule is predictable. You teach third period, you teach fourth period, you have lunch duty, like, you know, um, you have to grade these things, you have to grade three homeworks, three whatever, like a week. There was a routine as a school leader, your schedule will change up based on the context of the classrooms. Yeah. Your schedule will change up based on where we are in the school year. Um, there's a lot of like relationship management. You got to manage your relationships with students at the end of the day, like you're here for the betterment of them and their education. Right. And then you got to manage and maintain relationships with your actual teachers who you coach and manage. Then you have everybody else in the school who do you don't necessarily coach and manage, but like you're still a leadership team member and like you still got to model that leadership superintendents, like network people. It's just like a lot. And it was, it was hard. Like I, it's, it's, I can't, I have to be more intentional about my time and my relationship building. So is this a PIR program designed that you're in it for a finite period of time and then you move on to actually be a principal? Yeah, um, something like that. Like, it's a two-year program. You, and then if you're ready, based on, like, readiness and availability of schools, the superintendents or the, or, you know, your manager, your principal, whoever, like, will recommend you to uh, be a school leader, Mm -hmm. um, like, as principal. Um, after my first year in the PIR program, um, it's like, I just did not want to continue. Really? Yeah. Um, I I just, I don't know. I think it's, it's, um, I was not inspired, I guess. Like I go back to like, I didn't think this job could be done. Like I did not believe that I was the person who could do this job well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that one of it is like, I didn't have a model for um, a principal who looks like me or who had similar experiences as me um, being a principal um, who I feel like I could be like, mm-hmm. you know, that was one. And two, it was, uh, I think it's just like, it's just a, a lack of belief in myself. I can't yeah. say, I can't, I can't get out of that rationale either. I didn't think I could do it. You didn't think you could do it. But you ended up doing it. Right? Yeah. So how did that happen? There was an opportunity at a, a school with a different um, network. And no, that's not even how it happened. Wow. I'm like, how did this happen? It actually was, I wanted to open up my own school. Like I, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it for a network. Wait, pause. Because <laughs> I find that interesting. So someone who didn't have a belief in herself. Yeah. So you, you struggle with that, feeling yeah. like this is something that you could do. Went from zero to 60 yeah. and saying, I want to open my own school, which is a whole other layer. Like, I know. It's a whole, that's a whole other game. layer. Of so I applied for, um, it's called Building Excellent Schools. Mm-hmm. It's a program um, 
it's an organization that gets school leaders or actually like people who went to business school and maybe who were professionals in different industries. They, mm -hmm. uh, they bring them together and they basically teach you how to like write a charter, um, how to create a vision for a school. And again, it goes back to like, I want to be a principal, but I don't think I could do it. Yeah. And then I'm also thinking like, maybe it has to do with like my network. Like I was just having all these different feelings and, um, I applied for the Building Excellence Schools program. I got into like the final round and the CEO, I think I was just like so nervous. Like I think in my interview, like I think I was like very tense and there were some tasks that I like was not able to do well. And it's not because I couldn't do it. It was because like I was not able to communicate it. Yeah. Um, and she was like, Sophia, like we, she called me like three days after like the final interview. She's like, Sophia, like we really want you, uh, but I think you need another year. Okay. You need another year to like grow in your leadership and you don't even have to apply how you normally did. Like you will, we will let you in next year. And I was like, I cried. Like I, I was really banking on like, in my head, I'm like, I want to open up my own school, like my own school, like my rules, like my vision, you know? And it was a huge blow to my confidence because they wanted you to take a lap. Mm -hmm. So you weren't focused on the fact that they said like, you don't even have to reapply. Mm -hmm. we're, we're just saying like, grow your wings a little bit yeah. more over the next 12 yeah. months and then we're going to start you. Yeah. So because it wasn't right then, that, that was a blow to you. Yeah, that was a huge blow to me. And I think it was also another huge blow to me because like, it's not that it, I, I, I'm qualified. Like mm -hmm. if you, my results show that I know how to move data. I think, honestly, what got in my way is my confidence. Mm -hmm. Like, So it was more so that you felt like it wasn't that you weren't qualified, it just wasn't being presented. Your, your skill set wasn't being presented because of the lack of confidence. Or my, yeah, my skill set, I think my readiness. Okay. I mean, but they're not wrong. Like, if you're not, if if I'm not confident. Right. If you're not, like, if I'm not confident, if I truly don't believe in myself fully all the time, mm -hmm. maybe, like, I'm not ready to actually lead a school. Um, it really just like messed me up. Yeah. It really messed me up. And like, I was hurt, not like, I mean, I don't want to blame the CEO for like, but like, I was just like, I think hurt at my, I was hurt by myself. Like I felt like, damn, Sophia, like just own your shit and just be confident. Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting about this is you had been successful. Like, so even though you're like, I really didn't want to be a teacher, yeah. went into TFA, killed it. Yeah. Came to New York, killed it. Like literally you were plucked out and yeah. like, okay, you need to do this now. Yeah. So an inability to own something that you had proven yeah. that not only were you able to accomplish, you were able to exceed, frankly, for your professional yeah. age, yeah. like that, that's not average. That's above yeah. average. And I think, and I do want to get into this um, in a bit, like it's one of the side projects that you're working on, which I think sort of speaks to this as well. Um, but I think that is a 26 story a lot. Like the data is there, yeah. right? Like not only were you yeah. driving data, but in general, the, yeah. the results are there to show that you have what it takes, but it's this inherent belief yeah. that comes from somewhere that like, I'm not good enough. And that's what you talked about my side hustle. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a side hustle yet, but it's something, it's a side thing that I'm mm -hmm. working, working on. Like this journey that I'm on, like for, for a very long time, like I've just struggled with this, this thing of like, am I good enough? Mm -hmm. Am I smart enough? Am I strong enough? Like the not being enough syndrome. Yeah. Right. And 
it shows up so much in my life. Like it shows up professionally. Obviously it showed up professionally from the start. Like, I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to move back to New York. Like, can I do this? Right. Um, and sometimes I think like, how many times do you have to learn this lesson? Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know. I think true belief in self and like true confidence and like lack of self-doubt that itself takes time right like there are people trying to manage master that throughout their lifetimes and maybe sometimes I think like will I ever get there where I'm fully confident all the time 100% of the time or is that uh something that actually is not achievable and I'm just trying to reach for something that I can't have I don't know like yeah um but that moment with BES mm -hmm. um even though I was they were just saying wait another year the things that I was feeling is like am I good enough yeah like I'm not smart enough I'm not I'm not confident enough you know like it's it's all of these things. they just triggered it just yeah. triggered what was already there yeah. apparently yeah and you know honestly I don't know like we have all types of people that come on this show and there are some who just have this inherent confidence who are like, I decided I was going to do this and I did it. And then I'm, I'm going to do this and I did it. And I think some people are hardwired that way. And then others, um, I don't have the answer. I don't know what the formula is to wake up every day and jump out and feel like I'm, I'm killing the game. Yeah. No matter what, I'm, I'm going to yeah. kill it. Um, but I do think it's important. It's why I'm such a proponent of taking stock of where, how far you've come in your journey, because when you take a moment to assess, um, I don't know about you, but I do. When I assess, I'm like, you know what? No, I am, I am that deal. Yeah. Like when you think about yeah. what you have, have driven to, and I think yeah. another piece um, that that makes it difficult to sort of find that is often when you are someone who is a bit ahead of the curve and almost laughing people. Yeah. The people closest to you sometimes don't know how you could feel that way, mm -hmm. so they don't ever take the time to affirm me. Yeah. Because it's like, you don't like, yeah, you, you don't feel like you don't need you, it. Yeah. You've yeah. got to know that yeah. you're the truth yeah. and you'll be fine. Like, you know, yes. So, which is not intentional on their parts, but it can come across as dismissive, yeah. which then reinforces whatever insecurities yeah. you're having internally, which is why I think it's so important that we affirm those, even if you don't believe that they need to be affirmed. Right. That's what came out yesterday too. And mm -hmm. in, in the, the, my event is, um, there's like this, uh, my friend talked about how there's like this uh, 30 under 30 culture, mm -hmm. like you got, and people are trying to strive for that, right? Yeah. Like it's cool to be on that list. Um, and it, and as a result, like it makes us feel like we're not doing enough mm -hmm. if we are not recognized for that crazy, like accomplishment, but like, it doesn't necessarily have to be true for everybody, right? you know? And then secondly, is I have my my circle of friends like are very highly achieved as well. Mm -hmm. Like so for it's like normal in, in my friends group to like to hustle and to like work, work, work. Like it's very it's part of the it's part of like the culture within our friends group too. So um neither none of us actually really step back and say, wow, like what we're look what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um look how far we have come. Um it's the same, the same people that I was lesson planning with on a Sunday at 8 a.m. after going out, right? Um, they're on this a very similar hustle as I am and trying to like make an impact in whatever schools or whatever communities um, that we're in. So it's it's I think it's a problem like that not being able to step back mm -hmm. and like see the bigger picture for ourselves or for our friends and for our community it's like a larger issue right you know absolutely um, 
So uh, how I became a principal now is um, after that, I don't know, uh, that rejection or that not yet. Um, let's call it delay. The yeah, delay, delay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> See, my mind. You rejection. were not rejected. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, after that delay, um, there was an opportunity at a different network um, to be a principal at an all-girls middle school. So when that like showed up, right, I was like, what? I used to teach at an all-girls middle school in Atlanta. That's like where I learned how to um, how to teach. That's where I learned like my teaching style and my teaching persona. Um, and it was it was an opportunity that I felt like I had to force myself to be confident and to believe in myself because an opportunity that one I could make a really 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 great impact yeah. in. And then two, if I let this opportunity pass, I'm most likely going to regret it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's an all-girls school, you know? And who is, who is better to lead them than a woman, a leader who is also in her own journey and right. trying to figure out, like, her life, you know? Mm -hmm. um, especially it's middle school, so... Can you imagine where you were in middle school, right? right? And all the... That was a strange stuff. Right. And, like, all the things that um, middle school girls go through mm -hmm. um, with their own confidence or with their own family histories or just, like, growing into, like, being adults yeah. or young adults. Um, it's a very weird time. So this opportunity came up, um, again, through relationships and through connections is... Um, how I even learned about the opportunity. Yeah. So you decided to go for it and you get it. Yeah. And you've been in this role now for how long? A year and a half. A year and a half, six months. What are your greatest lessons from the first 18 months? <sighs> okay. So the first one is um, valuing, valuing relationships. Mm -hmm. I swear to God, like I did not... Prior, I, I didn't feel like I prioritized relationships. Like, like really? I feel like for me, relationships came naturally to me. Like the vibe is there. Like I could be my authentic self. Like, um, and because I had so many good relationships with my teachers in my own school and um, my own personal friends, I didn't think I have to like be intentional about relationships. Um, and as a leader, there's so many different things that take you away from connecting with people mm -hmm. or that's how I felt last year like I was going through my own like what is this about like what how does middle school work because I have you know I've taught in a middle school but I haven't been in a middle school in the past five years right time, right so I was like as I was learning this job I did not prioritize like getting to know connecting with people like on a human level mm -hmm. um it just became sometimes some relationships became very transactional. Um, some relationships just became like non-existent. Like I can't tell you one fact about a particular person mm -hmm. um, or a student. Um, it just became I just didn't prioritize it. So as a result, I think it um, it prevented me from being inspired because I also think like people. I'm a people's person, so like yeah. me talking to people like um, like fuels me too. Sure. It inspires me, but I also think that I was not as inspiring as I can be because I didn't have those relationships with people. Um, the second is like set people up for success in a way that 
actually truly sets them up for success. There was a um, there was a teacher who I I I I spoke about last night um, who sent me who sent me like a, a resignation letter. Mm-hmm overnight and I woke up every I wake up every morning like around four o'clock or four thirty and the first thing I do is like reach my phone to see like what emails like what's happening. Uh, what what happened overnight. Yeah. And it was a, a resignation letter. And that resignation letter really hit me because I one I thought I had a good relationship with that teacher. But then two, um it was just like done so like flat like like no conversation it was just like here it is and um and as I looked back and as I reflected like yeah that that teacher like really struggled with the with the content that they were assigned to teach and um even though that even though I didn't think they struggled that much I think that that uh contributed to them really struggling yeah um or like believing that they can do it um and it uh it just made me realize, like, at the end of the day, no matter what the needs of the school is, figure out a way you're going to help make sure that the onboarding and make sure that the, the support systems are in place for people to actually be successful at their jobs. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my job as a leader, to make sure that my people are being supported and that they're feeling, they feel growth and they feel effective. Right. Because if they don't, then you're not going to want to be there. Right. Um, the third one is um, invest people in the work people don't quit the things that they're invested in. Mm-hmm. So making sure that I'm always talking about the mission, I'm talking about whatever rationale that I'm giving is connecting to like student achievement and making sure that people see the purpose of every single thing that we do, including students, including parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if people don't see the purpose, then they're not going to be invested and therefore things become like management instead of leadership. That's good. Mm-hmm. So um, those are the three. There's a lot. Those are good ones. Yeah. Um, those are the three that I learned and I hope to continue. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a master yet. Mm-hmm. I like I'm on a journey. Okay. So hopefully I've given you enough lead time to think about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Oh, um, you did give me a lot of lead time. <laughs> um, this was a moment last year. During the months of like you no know, October up until like I would say April of last year, I was like in deep depression. Mm-hmm. Like I, it was I did not know. Like I was doing a lot of like negative self talk. Like I, there was not a day that I did not make a list of all the things I was bad at. Mm-hmm. Like it was really hard, and I just remember like showing up every single day um, to school, just being present. Even though, and there were times that like, I feel like my body was present, but like my mind and my heart wasn't. But I think the fact that I was still present and I still showed up and I still tried, Mm -hmm. even though everything in my body and in my spirit and my heart was telling me like, you're not good enough or like, don't try and just, it's not, you're not worth it. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that I just still showed up um, and was present is pretty extraordinary. Absolutely. So you've shared some of your journey here, but now a passion project of yours Mm -hmm. um, is not only, I think, providing a probably a deeper glimpse into your journey, but calling out some things that many of us struggle with. So tell us about the journey. The journey is, um, it's, it's, a journey is a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, 
often when people tell their stories or the stories of other people, they share the end goal, right? Like, yeah, like I now I'm here and I accomplished X, Y, and Z. But people don't like actually talk about the trials and tribulations and just the process, the work in progress. And for me, like I am a work in progress in so many different ways. And um, I wanted to honor that. Like, let's honor ourselves and let's honor people when they're also in a progress for something instead of when they're getting married or when they're having children. Like, those are great celebrations. But what about the progress of just being? Um, the second is, I think, one of my superpowers is, like, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And um, as a leader, as a person, I want to model that. Often, vulnerability is not a leadership trait that is coached or given feedback about. And I think there's so many people who are in any type of role, doesn't have to be a leadership role, who might be going through similar things as I am um, and who probably just need to hear other stories to connect Mm -hmm. and to kind of like get validated around like, yep, you're not the only one. Yep, this happens to me too. And yep, like this is crazy, but we can get through it. And I think with my modeling of vulnerability, I hope to reach and affirm others in in whatever the capacity that is. I don't know how, but like in whatever capacity. Um, And the third is, it's an opportunity for people to just come together, share stories and heal or continue the healing process. Um, you know, our people are storytellers and, um, like as a community, we should be able to speak about our struggles without feeling shame or without feeling judgment. And it takes, it it doesn't take a lot to just share. It takes courage, it takes bravery, but it also takes like one person to stand up and say, Hey, this is what I'm going through. And like, it's crazy. Let me just tell you, you know, what's going on. And other people will feel open to share their stories as well. Absolutely. And I think the more we create those spaces, the less stigma there will be around vulnerability, particularly for our communities, which I think are steeped in this idea that like we're so hardened and like we just keep achieving no matter what happen. Um, And all these cliches around like, you'll never have more on me than you can bear all this stuff where like, it's hard for us to just stand up and say, I am having a moment and and I and on some level I understand that because we've got to go out into the world and run twice as fast yeah as everyone else um and you know never let them see you sweat that whole thing so I get it but there there is a need for yeah. those spaces where we can say I'm feeling weak or um the the version that I'm put, putting out into the world doesn't feel real yeah like I feel like I'm wearing a costume or a mask or a mask yeah um, just to get through my days and you know traipse through my career, but underneath it all, I'm fragile or I'm broken, yeah. or I I have feelings of inadequacy. And and I think the more we we have those conversations and the more we normalize that, the more we'll realize that like we all are pretty much in the same boat. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? and, and if and if we continue to feel like we're alone, mm-hmm. like we're not gonna go anywhere. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Thanks. Please keep me posted. I will about the next one because I might have to show up. Yeah, to I that. think yeah, the, the journey continues. Yes. It's not it's not over. Mm-hmm. And um I'm just I'm I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to like share it with my people yesterday mm-hmm. and we'll see where it goes. Are you online? Do you have a presence where people can find you? Yeah. I know it might be weird. It's like, it's like, it's my new, just personal. It's okay. (laughs) You know, you can give the personal. (laughs) Uh, You can find me on IG. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I say so if it's my Instagram name. Okay. I say so. Yeah. I'm excited to see what your next chapter looks like. (laughs) 
I feel like, you know, you're leading a school today, yeah. working on the journey, but yeah. like, who knows? I don't you I know. Might, you might start a school at some point. I know. You intended to do. I know. Or several. Several. <laughs> yes. I'm still thinking about that. Still trying to figure out what that looks like. And I feel like consulting is not off the table either. Just I saying. know. Just saying. It could be different ways yes. of consulting, right? Exactly. I could even consider this like consulting. I'm like sharing Listen, my story. There are many ways. <laughs> there are many ways, right? To build a brand and impact the world. Well, I enjoyed this. I told you it wouldn't be that bad. I know. It's not that bad. It's just a conversation. <laughs> Which is what we tell people at every every know, episode. Like my hands are a little sweaty. <laughs> it's all good. You did great. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining. I appreciate it. To our listeners, give us your IG name one more time. I say so. I say so. You yeah. can find Sophia there. Remember, like, share, subscribe to this episode. We cannot do it without you. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Amen. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delicia. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.